Part One, Chapter Three of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Anna Pavlovna's reception was in full swing. The spindles on all sides were buzzing smoothly and without halt, with the exception of Ma Tante, near whom sat only one elderly lady with a thin, tear-worn face, a poor soul rather out of place in this brilliant society. The guests were divided into three circles. In one, for the most part, composed of men, the Abbe Morio formed the centre. In the second, there were young people grouped around the beautiful Princess Ellen, Prince Vasily's daughter, and the pretty little Princess Bolkonskaya, fair and rosy, but too stout for her age. In the third were Montmartre and Anna Pavlovna. The Viscount was an attractive-looking young man, with delicate features and refined manners, he evidently regarded himself as a celebrity, but through his good breeding, modestly allowed the company with which he mingled to profit by his presence. It was plain to see that Anna Pavlovna served him as a treat for her guests, just as a good maitre d'hôtel offers a supernaturally delicious dish, some piece of meat which no one would feel like eating were it seen in the unsavory kitchen. So this evening Anna Pavlovna served up to her guests first the viscount, then the abbe, as some sort of supernatural delicacy. In Montmartre's circle, they immediately began to discuss the murder of the Duc d'Angillon. The Viscount maintained that the Duke had fallen victim to his own magnanimity, and that there had been personal reasons for Bonaparte's ill-will. Ah, voyons, contez-nous cela, vicomte, said Anna Pavlovna, ecstatically, with a consciousness that this phrase, contez-nous cela, vicomte, tell us about it, Viscount, had a certain ring like Louis the Fifteenth. The Viscount bowed in token of submission, and smiled urbanely. Anna Pavlovna made her circle close in around the Viscount, and invited all to hear his account. The Viscount knew the Duke personally, whispered Anna Pavlovna, in French, to one of her guests. The Viscount is wonderfully clever at telling a story, she said to another. How easy it is to tell a man used to good society, she exclaimed to a third, and the viscount was offered to the company in a halo most exquisite and flattering to himself, like a roast beef garnished with parsley on a hot platter. The viscount was just about beginning his narration, and a faint smile played over his lips. "'Come over here, Cherlaine,' said Anna Pavlovna, to the lovely young princess, who was seated at some little distance, the centre of the second group. The princess Ellen smiled. She stood up with the smile on her face so natural to a perfectly beautiful woman, and which she had worn when she first came into the room. Lightly trailing her white ball dress, ornamented with smilax and moss, with shoulders gleaming white, with glossy hair and flashing gems, she made her way through the ranks of the men who stood aside to let her pass, and not looking at any one in particular, but smiling on all, and as it were, amiably granting each one the privilege of viewing the beauty of her form, of her plump shoulders, of her beautiful bosom and back, exposed by the low cut of the dress then in vogue. Seeming to personify the radiance of festivity, she crossed over to Anna Pavlovna's side. Ellen was so lovely that not only there was not a shade of coquetry to be perceived in her, but on the contrary, she was, as it were, conscience-stricken at her unquestionable and all-conquering maidenly beauty. She seemed to have the will, but not the power, to diminish the effect of her loveliness. 
quelle belle personne, was remarked by all who saw her. The viscount, as though overwhelmed by something quite out of the ordinary, shrugged his shoulders and dropped his eyes at the moment she took her seat in front of him and turned upon him the radiance of that perpetual smile. Madame, I fear my ability is not on par with such an audience, said he, inclining his head with a smile. The young princess rested her bare round arm on the table, and did not think it incumbent upon her to say anything in reply. She smiled and waited. All the time that he was telling his story she sat upright, glancing occasionally now at her beautiful plump arm, which by its pressure on the table altered its shape, now at her still more beautiful bosom, on which she adjusted her diamond necklace. Once or twice she smoothed out the folds of her dress, and when the story was unusually impressive, she would look at Anna Pavlovna, and for an instant assume the very same expression that was on the Fräulein's face, and then again relapse into her calm, radiant smile. The little princess, Bolkonskaya, also left the tea-table and followed Ellen. "'Wait a moment. I'm going to bring my work,' she exclaimed. "'Vous y en a quoi pensez-vous?' she added, turning to Prince Hippolyte. "'Bring me my work-bag.' The young wife, smiling, and having a word for everyone, quickly effected her transmigration, and as she took her seat, merrily arranged herself. "'Now I am comfortable,' she exclaimed, and begging the viscount to begin, she set herself to her work again. Prince Hippolyte brought her the bag, and, placing his chair near her, sat down. Le Chermont Hippolyte struck one by his extraordinary likeness to his sister, the beautiful Ellen and still more by the fact that in spite of this likeness he was astonishingly ugly. His features were the same as his sister's, but in her case all was illumined by her radiantly joyous, self-contented, unfailing smile of life and youth, and the remarkable classic beauty of her form. In the case of the brother, on the contrary, the face, though the same, was befogged with an idiotic expression, and looked always self-conceited and sulky, and his body was lean and feeble. Eyes, nose, mouth, all were fixed, as it were, in a perpetual grimace vaguely indicative of his discontented state of mind, while his arms and legs always assumed some unnatural attitude. "'This is not a ghost story, is it?' he asked, as he sat down near the princess and hastily put on his eyeglasses, as though without this instrument it were impossible for him to say a word. "'Why, no, my dear,' replied the astonished narrator, shrugging his shoulders. "'Because I detest ghost stories,' he added, and it was plain from his tone that only after he had spoken these words he realized their significance. The self-assurance with which he spoke was so complete, no one could tell whether his remark was very witty or very stupid. He wore a dark green coat, pantaloons of a shade that he called cuisse de nymph affray, and stockings and pumps.' The Viscount gave a very clever rendering of an anecdote at that time going the rounds, to the effect that the Duc d'Angillon had gone secretly to Paris to see Mademoiselle Georges, and there met Bonaparte, who also enjoyed the favours of the famous actress, and that Napoleon, on meeting the Duke there, happened to fall into one of the swoons to which he was subject, and thus came into the Duke's power. But the Duke refrained from taking advantage of it, while Bonaparte, in return for this magnanimity, revenged himself in the duke's death. The story was very nice and interesting, especially the place where the rivals suddenly recognized each other, and the ladies, it appeared, were moved. Charmant, 
exclaimed Anna Pavlovna, looking interrogatively at the little princess. Charmante, whispered the little princess, looking for her needle in her work, as though to signify that the interest and charm of the tale had prevented her from going on with her sewing. The viscount was flattered by this mute tribute of praise, and with a gratified smile was about to continue. But at this instant, Anna Pavlovna, who kept her eye constantly on the young man who seemed to her so dangerous, noticed that he and the abbe were talking altogether too loud and energetically, and she hastened to carry aid to the imperiled place. In reality, Pierre had succeeded in leading the abbe into a conversation on political equipoise, and the abbe, evidently interested by the young man's frank impetuosity, was giving him the full benefit of his pet idea. Both were talking and listening with too much natural ardor, and this was displeasing to Anna Pavlovna. By what means? The balance of Europe and droit des gens, the abbe was saying. It is possible for one powerful empire like Russia, having the repute of being barbarous, to take her stand disinterestedly at the head of an alliance whose aim is the balance of Europe, and she would save the world. How would you bring about this balance of power? Pierre was beginning to ask, but just at this instant Anna Pavlovna joined them, and, giving Pierre a stern glance, asked the Italian how he bore the climate of Petersburg. The Italian's face instantly changed, and took on an offensively, affectedly soft expression, which was evidently habitual with him when he engaged in conversation with women. I am so enchanted by the charms of the wit and culture, especially among the women of the society into which I have the honor of being received, that I have not had time as yet to think of the climate, said he. Anna Pavlovna, making sure of Pierre and the abbe, brought them into the general circle, so that she might keep them under her observation. At this moment a new personage appeared in the drawing-room. This new personage was the young prince, Andrei Bolkonsky, the husband of the little princess. Prince Bolkonsky was a very handsome youth of medium height, with strongly marked and stern features. Everything about him, from the weary, bored expression of his eyes to the measured deliberation of his step, presented a striking contrast with his little lively wife. He was not only acquainted, it seemed, with everyone in the room, but found them so tedious that even to look at them and hear their voices was too much for his equanimity. Of all those faces there, apparently, the face of his lovely little wife was the one that bored him the most. With a grimace that disfigured his handsome face, he turned away from her. He kissed Anna Pavlovna's hand, and with half-closed eyes looked round at the assembly. "'So, are you getting ready for war, Prince?' asked Anna Pavlovna. "'General Kutuzov has been kind enough to desire me as his aide-de-camp.' He spoke in French, and accented the last syllable of Kutuzov's name like a Frenchman. Elise, votre femme? She will go into the country. Isn't it a sin for you to deprive us of your charming wife? André, exclaimed the little princess, addressing her husband in the same coquettish tone that she employed toward strangers. You should have heard the story the Viscount has been telling us about Mademoiselle Georges and Bonaparte. Prince André frowned and turned away. Pierre, who from the moment that Prince André entered the room had not taken his merry, kindly eyes from him, now came to him and took him by the arm. 
Prince Andrei, without looking round, again contracted his face into a grimace expressing his annoyance that any one should touch his arm, but when he saw Pierre's smiling face, his face lighted up with an unexpectedly kind and pleasant smile. "'What is this? You also in gay society?' said he to Pierre. "'I knew that you would be here,' replied Pierre. "'I will go home to supper with you,' he added in a whisper, so as not to disturb the viscount, who was proceeding with his story. "'Can I?' "'No, of course you can't,' said Prince Andrei, laughing, and by a pressure of the hand giving Pierre to understand that he had no need of asking such a question. He had something more on his tongue's end, but at this moment Prince Vasily and his daughter arose, and the two young men stood aside to give them room to pass. "'You will excuse me, my dear Viscount,' said Prince Vasily, courteously insisting that the Frenchman should keep his seat. "'This unfortunate ball at the embassy deprives me of a pleasure, and compels us to interrupt you. I am very sorry to leave your delightful reception,' he said to Anna Pavlovna. His daughter, the Princess Ellen, gracefully holding the folds of her dress, made her way among the chairs, and the smile on her lovely face was more radiant than ever. Pierre looked with almost startled, though enthusiastic eyes, at the beautiful creature as she passed by him. "'Very handsome,' said Prince Andrei. "'Very,' said Pierre. As he went by, Prince Vasily seized Pierre by the hand and turned to Anna Pavlovna. "'Train this bear for me,' said he. "'He has been living a month at my house, and this is the first time that I have seen him in society.' Nothing is so advantageous for a young man as the society of clever women. End of chapter 3